Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Let's jump into Acts chapter 9. We're going we're gonna to read today about how Saul's life practically changed because we know, we know he had this 180 experience. But let's read today about what this entailed. Acts chapter 9, picking it up here, let's start in verse 19. Luke says this, For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately, everybody say immediately. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying this, he, that is Jesus, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those uh, who called upon his name and has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? Verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Verse 23, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot, I love this, their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, I guess so. For they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen Jesus the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Verse 28. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And when he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, those are the Greek speaking Jews, he says this, but they were seeking to kill him as he did. And when the brothers, the believers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, I love this, this is my prayer for us, had peace, look at this, had peace, how many of y'all want some peace? And was being built up, how many of y'all want to be built up? Had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, come on y'all, it multiplied, it grew, it multiplied. Now, there's a lot that we can learn from from this big passage that I just read, but let me just go after it with this one simple point. Listen to me carefully. The most important thing that you can do after you get born again, the most important thing that you can do after you get saved is join the church to become a member of the church. Let me add one other thing to that. The next most important thing you can do after you get born again is get as close as you possibly can with other disciples, with other men and women of God who love God more than you do. Can I get a better amen? The most important thing you can do after you get saved, because it's important to be converted, isn't it? The answer is yes. It is important to be converted. That's good. 
But once you're converted, once your heart has changed, God wants to add you to a local body of believers who can walk with you, who can talk with you, who can speak with you, who can encourage you, who can do what the disciples did for Saul in this passage. Listen to this. We don't know how long Saul was with the disciples at Damascus. But here's what we do know. If you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus saved his soul, but the church saved his life. Let me say that again. Jesus saved his soul, but the church, everybody say church. The disciples saved his his life. You say, Pastor Scott, where's that come from? The passage I just read. It says here, listen to me, that the Jews were plotting to kill him. Why? Because he was preaching Jesus. Listen, the day is coming when people are going to want to kill you. Maybe it's here now for some of you. When you preach Jesus and you share Jesus, there are going to be some people who are going to want to wring your neck, as my mama used to say. There are going to be some people who want to kill you. Here it says the Jews wanted to kill him. Certain leaders wanted to kill him. But it says that some of the disciples did what? Lowered him in a basket through the opening in the wall at nighttime, thereby saving his life. Lowered him in a what? He, come on, y'all. He was the first basket case. I worked on that all night. Lowered him in the basket. Actually, I, that was the title of another sermon I read. I'm like, that's a good title for a sermon. But lowered him, lowered him in this basket and saved his life. And then we go on and read the rest of this. It says that the Hellenists, these Greek-speaking Jews, they wanted to kill him. But I love what it says here. Look at verse 30. And when the brothers learned this, what did they do? It says, are y'all with me? It says they brought him down to Caesarea and then they sent him off to Tarsus. What did they do? They saved his life. How many of y'all know this is a picture of what we should be for one another? How many of y'all know Jesus is all you need to go to heaven? How many of y'all know Jesus is sufficient? But it's not just the Jesus in heaven. It's also the Jesus in you and the Jesus in me. We need him, but we need one another. You need Jesus in each other. Are y'all tracking? So, so listen, you should have my back and, and I should have your back. Because listen, when the devil comes against you, And when demons come against you, they need to know that they're not just coming against you. They're also coming against me. They're also coming against other brothers and sisters, y'all. And so listen, I know we're in a world that's so divided. People are fighting about everything. Can I help y'all? Can I encourage y'all? Can I challenge y'all? Say yes, because I'm going to do it anyway. Can we please come together? Can we please stop fighting about silly things? Can we lay those things aside? And watch this. And be very careful even how we argue about important things. How many of y'all know someone can disagree with you? They can disagree with me, but they're still, you, you might disagree with me on certain things, but you're still my brother. You're still my sister in the Lord. And now is the time. Can I get a better amen? Because now, now with the pressure of society, with the issues of this world, y'all, we've got to come together. Jesus' prayer was that we would be one as he and the father are one. Right now, when I look out, I don't see that, but I believe Jesus is slowly and inevitably bringing us close together. We need one another. Let me say it again. I need you. You need me. And we need one another. Listen to me. 
When corona comes your way, listen to me. I'm hitting my knees and I'm praying. When cancer, when tragedy comes your way, you have a pastor. I, I commit. If I know about it, I'm praying about it. Make that your rule. If you know about it, you got to pray about it. Someone said, Pascal, will you pray for me? I, oh, it's what I always do. I've learned to do this. Right there in the moment when they ask, I either pray then or I'll take their name and their request down and I'll go and I'll put it on my list. When I tell you that I'm praying for you, that's not a nice Christian thing to do or say. When I hear about it, I pray about it. Can we make that commitment as a body? To, when we hear about it, let's pray about it. You say, Pascal, what'd you do all weekend? I followed up with people who are sick and are hurting. You say, you know, I'm kind of bored. I, you know, I'm kind of bored. I'm not really doing much. You know, there aren't any groups going on right now. Listen, there is tragedy. There is heartache. There is heartbreak all around you. If you want something to do, start finding the sick, laying hands from a distance, pray from a distance, do whatever you got to do. Come on, check somebody, check on somebody. It takes two seconds to make a world of difference. Are y'all with me? texting people. I'm just checking on you, man. Check, check on your brothers. Check on your sisters. Because come on, y'all, we're the body of Christ. Come on, we don't always get along, do we? Y'all, come on, y'all get mad at me sometimes, don't you? I start preaching real hard. Y'all get mad. I know you do. Don't say a word, except not at all. <laughs> I know you do. I'm going to offend you at times. You're going to make me mad. But come on, y'all, this is family. This is family. God not only converts us, but he adds us to the local church. Aren't you glad he does? Now listen, can I challenge y'all? Say yes, because I'm going to do it anyway. If you're not a member, man, come today, 1030. We have membership every single Sunday at 1030. You know, if you, if you sign off on what we believe, if you're behind us, if you're for Jesus ultimately, if you're for what we believe, man, just make it official. Go through membership, and then we will help you uh, get on your own road, your own straight street right into your destiny. Can I get one more amen? So with this, there, there are so many things from this passage we could say, but just for starters, I love that Saul immediately got with some other disciples. But check it out. After spending time with them, the Bible tells us, Luke tells us here, that he immediately went to the synagogue and declared to his own people, the Jews, that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, we read this and we're like, okay, all right, yeah, all right. But hold on just a second. The man who was persecuting Jesus is now preaching Jesus. Now, let me put this in perspective. This is like Osama bin Laden getting saved. Picture this with me. If you were alive, him getting saved. And, and, and pick, think of it in these terms. If, if he were a local fella. <laughs> or so if we were there. We're all in the same community together. How many of y'all would rejoice if a man like that got saved? Three of you. Praise God. The rest of you pray for your enemies. We should rejoice, right, in someone like that getting saved. But though you rejoice on one hand, how many of y'all would be a little bit hesitant to invite Brother Bin Laden into your discipleship group? Huh? Yeah, how many of y'all would be a little bit hesitant? You know, if he signed up for my group, you know, I'd either text him or call him Brother Bin Laden. You, listen, you're not going to grow in my group. <laughs> you need Ronnie Stelly. You need to get in his group or Justin, one of our security guys. You, you need, you'll, you won't grow with me. I'm going to be way over your head. You need to get in one of these simple groups, you know. Um, y'all with me? 
Yeah, I mean, it, come on, you're, think, think of this. There, there he is, Osama's in your little discipleship group, you're going to pray. How many of y'all keep one eye open? <laughs> like, I trust the Lord, but not you, you know. But I'm, I'm painting a picture. Do y'all see what's going on here? I mean, Saul, who we call Paul, went from, from you know, signing off on, on murder, murder of Christians, to then he went from being a persecutor of Jesus to becoming a preacher of Jesus. And the Jews were, well, a little bit suspicious. Now, we're told that he entered the synagogues and he proclaimed Jesus. That Jesus was the Christ. Now, the question is, how did he prove to these Jews that Jesus was the Christ? Well, the Bible doesn't say explicitly, but implicitly, I believe, he did so by showing them how Jesus fulfilled the very scriptures that they read. He went straight to their Bibles that they had been reading Sabbath after Sabbath, week after week, year after year, Jesus was right there in the scriptures in front of them, but they missed him. How many of y'all know we can do the same? How many of y'all know God can be moving? God can be speaking. And I say this all the time. It's not a question of whether God is speaking. The question is, are we? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. There are a lot of people in first century Palestine and Israel who they were ever hearing but really never understanding or perceiving. And so Paul, Saul steps in and he proclaims Jesus is the Son of God. He proved that Jesus was the Christ. And he did so from their scriptures. Genius, huh? Simple, but genius. And here's what we need to know about this. Jesus did not just pop into history like unannounced and start making like these big claims about himself on his own. Jesus didn't just come up as some self-proclaimed prophet and and start saying that he was certain things on his own. How many of y'all know we all need validation? How many of y'all know we all need validation? Let me help you with something. I have authority today because I'm under authority. I'm under the authority of the local church. I'm under the authority of other pastors and elders who are also under the authority of Jesus. How many of y'all know Jesus was a man of authority? And when he came, yes, he made claims about himself, but those claims were claims that had been, had been announced by the Father, spoken by the Spirit, through the prophets, over the course of hundreds of years. Are y'all tracking? So when he gets on the scene, yes, he, he did say, I am, I am, I am, I am, all over, I am. But God had been saying for hundreds of years, The Messiah is coming. My son, the Messiah, is on the way. And so, Jesus himself, look at this with me in Luke 4. He walks in to a synagogue, to a gathering of Jews, where the Bible is being read. Of course, this is way before this moment we read about Saul. Listen to what Luke says about this. And he, that is Jesus, Luke 4, 16 through 21. And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written. 
The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Look at verse 20. This is so good. If this doesn't light your fire, your wood is soaking wet. Y'all ready? And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant. And he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. I guess so. And he began to say to them, here it is. Here's the bomb. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, the equivalent is him walking up today, reading the Bible, reading the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 61, reading it, saying, hey, y'all, what you've been reading about? That's me. Dropped the mic and walked off the stage. Y'all with me? I mean, if anybody has the right to do it, it's Jesus. Hey, y'all, you've been reading the Torah, you've been reading the prophets. I could just see Jesus going, hmm, that's a good one. Let me go to the, nah, let me go. Isaiah 61. <laughs> this was written about me, and today it's fulfilled in your hearing. Just before Jesus goes to the Father after his resurrection, listen to what he said to disciples in Luke 24, 44. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Check it out, y'all. That everything, everybody say everything. Everything. One more time. Everything written about me in, in, in three, threefold division, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the what? Y'all see it? Must be what? <laughs> I told y'all. I told you. It's been there all along. The law of Moses, the Psalms, the prophets, everything written about me in them, Jesus is saying was fulfilled in him. Everything God said about Jesus came to pass. Listen to me carefully. And everything that Jesus says about you in your life will also come to pass. How many of y'all know when he speaks, he doesn't stutter. He always tells the truth. God spoke. God promised. And he came through with his promise. And if he did it for Jesus, we know he will do it through Jesus for us. But notice here the threefold witness, the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, they all point to Jesus and are fulfilled in him. Now, with that said, if you're taking notes, write this down. Did, did you guys know, I'm teaching you all today, that the Old Testament predicts the supernatural birth of the Messiah? Did you all know that? 700 years before Jesus was conceived by the Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Listen to what Isaiah 7, 14 says. The prophet says, Therefore the Lord will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. What does that mean? God with us. Y'all understand that this, this prophecy had an application, this word had an application in Isaiah's day. But the great fulfillment was in Jesus' day in the life of Mary. Come on, y'all. Jesus was conceived by the power of the Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, born under the law to redeem those who are under the curse of the law. 
And he came in just in the fullness of time, Galatians 4, 4 tells us. But this is, this is a promise 700 years before it took place. How I many of y'all know God knows the future? And he knows it perfectly well. That's why you don't have to worry about what's coming tomorrow because God's already been there and he knows what tomorrow holds. And he's, as I said last Sunday, he's not going to give you grace for tomorrow today. He'll give you grace tomorrow when you get there, not before. So when you worry about tomorrow without the grace of tomorrow is damaging to you and those around you. But how I many of you know when you get there, when you get into tomorrow to that trouble, God's going to have a tailor-made mercy, a tailor-made grace just for you when you get there. Not before, but when you get there. Three people are excited about that. Check it out. It's good, y'all. So that it will lift the burdens of tomorrow. You're today, you're worried, okay? You got concerns. I get it. I get it. I get it. But know this. He's not the great I was. He's the great I am. He's the God of your past. He's the God of your present. And he will be and always will be the God of your future. Always. So God spoke. He promised. And it came to pass. Number two, the Old Testament predicts the suffering of the Messiah. Did you know that? That Jesus didn't just come on the scene and say, hey, I'm going to die for your sins. And Paul came around and said, yeah, he died for our sins. Praise God. No. 700 years before it happened, listen to what the prophet says. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we, Jewish people, esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But, verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Oh, I love this. And with his wounds, we are healed. So, yeah, isn't that good, y'all? If you're a Jew living in Jesus' day, and you're there at the foot of the cross, you're looking at him going, this guy claimed to be God. He said, I am. Well, if you are who you say you are, come down from there. And that's fulfilling. Oh, we, we looked at him, and he seemed stricken and smitten and afflicted like, What good could possibly come from this? Your salvation. (laughs) On one hand, don't don't we hate the fact that Jesus died for us because he suffered? He, He died for us. Don't we hate that on one hand? But on the other, aren't you glad that he did? Because he died, you can live. Because he died, you can be forgiven. Because he died, you can not just be free, but come on, y'all, free indeed. This was prophesied 700 years before it took place. Jesus on the cross made atonement for your sin. You say, oh, Pastor Scott, that's a big old word. What does that mean? It means this. At one meant. Because of Jesus, come on, y'all, we are at one with God. We were alienated, we were estranged, we were far away, but because of Jesus shed blood and our belief in him, come on y'all, the wall's been broken down, we've been brought close, we are at one with God, and no one can snatch us out of his hand. At one minute, say it with me, at at one minute, that's what atonement involves. So, at Bethlehem, Jesus became God with us. At Calvary, he became God for us. And at Pentecost, God sent his spirit to live within us. 
How many of y'all know God's made all the provision that we could ever need to live a victorious life, to overcome sin, death, hell, the grave, and every enemy that can be named? We have overcome because he overcame for us. But all this was predicted. Let me break it down. Your victory over sin and death were predicted and guaranteed in Jesus. Number three, the Old Testament predicts the humility of the Messiah. I preach this like a maniac back on Palm Sunday. So I won't do it again. Let me just give you a little snapshot. Zechariah 9.9, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble. Everybody say humble. Humble. And mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, of course, we see this fulfilled in Jesus' triumphal entry. He didn't come riding in on a war horse, did he? From some perspectives, you think, well, that's what he would have done, because Jesus has come to kick some booty, right? Well, at his second coming, he's coming to kick some tail. Y'all know when he comes back? I, somebody preached a series here on Revelation. Were y'all here for that? Jesus came the first time to bring salvation. The second time, y'all, it's not going to be pretty. Are y'all tracking? Tell the world, it ain't going to be pretty. But in his first coming, he's humble. Now, that means he was meek, mild, lowly in nature. Now, if you keep on reading, that same Jesus is the one overturning the tables of the money changers. So with Jesus, you, you see this balance of him, watch, Him giving exactly what's needed, when it's needed. He gave just the right calculated response to every situation in his life. How many of y'all know sometimes we get stuck in one gear? We have one message often. And if someone crosses you, come on, y'all, it's heated outside. And I don't mean just the temperature. I'm talking about people are on the edge of their seat. People are touchy. People are exasperated. Are y'all with me? There's a time to be harsh. The harder the head, the harder the hammer. And I'm, of course, using that as a metaphor. Paul says, warn a divisive person once, warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. That came from the same man that wrote 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. (laughs) And that's why he wrote, warn a divisive person once. That's patience. But let's make it more patient. Twice. Okay, that's patience. And after that, have nothing to do with them. There's a a time for everything. Listen, listen. let, Let me pastor your hearts as I pastor my own. There is so much heartache and so much heartbreak right now. Pastor Eugene, one of my heroes, he talks about superpowers. We all have superpowers by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know that? You got some superpowers. Do you know that? Some of you speaking in tongues, that's your superpower. Some of you prophesying, that's your superpower. We got all kinds of different gifts. Think of superpowers as gifts of the Holy Spirit, but also think of, uh, of superpowers as the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Listen, it is the hour for the superpower of compassion. Your greatest superpower right now, the greatest superpower that can be used is 
gentleness. Let me add to the list. Compassion. Can I add some more? Yeah, y'all need it. Patience. Y'all need that? Those are the superpowers of power. A little bit of compassion, even if you disagree with someone, can go a long way. Just, just a little bit of kindness. A soft word, turn away wrath. Have you ever had it made up in your mind that you're going to go talk to somebody, you're going to confront them, and you already had it made up in your mind that that person is going to respond a certain way? And normally, it's the worst case scenario, isn't it? But then, when you, when you go in love and you go in humility, that person responds in kind the same. God is glorified and you are rebuked for believing the worst. Don't believe all the worst case scenarios in your head. Don't go there. Don't don't live in your head. Obey the word of God. Respond like Jesus and the pressure is on him and the spirit to change their heart. You're not responsible for how they respond. You're responsible for how you carry yourself and how you speak to them. Are y'all receiving that? It's the hour for compassion. It's the hour for kindness. Jesus was the perfect demonstration of both harshness when he needed to be and kindness in other times. So the Old Testament predicts the supernatural birth. The Old Testament predicts the suffering of the Messiah and the humility of the uh, the Messiah. And lastly, the Old Testament predicts the resurrection of the Messiah. I'm just curious. Why do we celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection like one weekend out of the year? Like at Easter? Anybody wonder why we do that? Listen, the whole teaching, the whole doctrine of Jesus' resurrection, y'all know that it's the central theme of the New Testament? The gospel is not just Jesus forgives you for your sin. Thank God that he does. How many of you are thankful for that? But the gospel is Jesus' triumph over death on the cross, but it also involves his mighty, victorious, triumphant conquering of death. And this was prophesied. Psalm 16, verse 10. Oh, David said this in the Psalms, hundreds of years before. For you you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. That was true in part in David's life. It's more of a statement of faith, confession of faith. But how many of y'all know this ultimately points to, to Jesus? Because see, we're told that Jesus, of course, died for our sins. He was placed in the grave. And on the third day, what happened, y'all? He rose from death. Jesus, listen. Those of you who are fearful of death, I get it. Get it. Jesus went there, but he didn't stay there. He went into the tomb, but come on, y'all, he didn't stay in the tomb. Little Hannah, my niece, she went there. But come on, y'all, she's not going to stay there. Because one day the trumpet's going to sound 
the dead in Christ will rise. We'll be called up to meet the Lord in the air and we'll have transformed, glorified, resurrected bodies forever. Forever. You're going to go there, but my God, you're not going to stay there. It was predicted that Jesus would go there. And it was predicted at the same time that although he went there, he wouldn't stay there. What an incredible truth. Predicted, prophesied hundreds of years before it all came to pass. Now there are dozens and dozens of other passages that I could cite. We could sit here until five o'clock. Y'all, we could have a five o'clock service. Stay all the way till five and beyond and I could give you dozens and dozens of other predictions and promises and prophecies about who Jesus is, about his coming, what he would accomplish. Some say that there are dozens and dozens. Some say there are 300 or more. Some people say that there are thousands of predictions about Jesus. I've not personally counted them all. But as we get ready to to conclude, let, let me say this. Dr. Peter Stoner was the chairman of mathematics and the astronomy department at Pasadena College until about the mid part of the 20th century. Very smart guy. And he he decided to get, he got 600 students of his from 12 different departments. He gathered them all together. And the question was this, what are the odds that one man would fulfill just eight Old Testament prophecies in his lifetime? That was the question, what are the odds? Well, being a mathematician and having 600 others, he got them all together. <laughs> they ran the numbers very carefully, very analytically, very precisely. And here's what he said. He said, we find that the chance that any man might have lived down to the present time and fulfilled all eight prophecies is one in 10 to the 17th power. Stoner said, look, let me put this in perspective. He said this. He said that if you were to take 10 to the 17th silver coins, they, in, if, you, if you were to take them, they would spread evenly over the entire state of Texas, two feet deep. Stoner said, mark, mark one coin and take it anywhere you want in all of Texas, drop it at the bottom, put it whatever you want, mark it, set it, blindfold someone and tell them that they can walk as far and as long as they wish. The chance uh, of this is crazy. He says, what chance would we have of getting the right one if this was you blindfolded? Here's what he said. Just the same chance that the prophets would have had in writing these eight prophecies and having them all come true in any one man from their day to the present time. Those are the odds of you walking through Texas going, I found it. Now you hear this and you're like, well, you know, anybody can run numbers. Let's fact check that. Okay, let's do that. Uh, because there's, there's a man named Harold, Dr. Harold Hartzler, PhD of the American Scientific Affiliation. And here's what he said in the foreword to Stoner's book. Here's what he said. Let me, let me shorten this down. He said this, the mathematical analysis included in, in Stoner's report is based upon principles of probability which are thoroughly sound and Professor Stoner has applied the principles in a proper and convincing way. 
what is the conclusion? Come on, y'all, we already know this, don't we? But, but listen, the evidence is overwhelming that Jesus is the fulfillment of messianic prophecy. He is the Son of God. Y'all, He came fulfilling Scripture. And he's going to come again to fulfill scripture. He came the first time. He's coming the second time. The question is, are you ready for his coming? Oh, somebody preached about 14 messages through the book of Revelation. I think that person prepared y'all for his coming. People said, when when do you think he's going to come back, Scott? And here's my answer. I have no idea. I think he's going to come back in my lifetime. I think. I can't predict. If I were to put a date on the calendar, Jesus would say, nope, I'm not coming back because I told him I'm not going to tell him the time. I don't know the exact time, the exact moment. Did he come the first time? Did he fulfill scripture the first time? Does God always tell the truth? Is God a God of miracles? Is God a God of love? Is God a God of salvation? Y'all, He's coming again. And His reward is with Him. Are you ready to meet Him? Are you ready to meet Him face to face? Because I promise you will when He comes. If we're alive when He comes, you'll meet Him in your life if it happens then. If it's not then, you're going to stand before him after your death. You're going to stand before the judge of the universe. Paul went from being a persecutor of the church, persecuting Jesus, to boldly declaring that Jesus is the Son of God.